800-976-2300. A number you can call to meet someone new. Well, I'm blonde hair, blue eyes. Are you good looking? I think so. 976-2300, where singles get together 24 hours a day. Well, that's my favorite place, too. How about Friday night at 7? Oh, terrific. I'll wear my new miniskirt. You'll oh, love it. That sounds terrific. Come join the fun now for just 99 cents per minute plus toll, if any. We now know what happened to Jacob Wetterling, but the whereabouts of dozens of other Minnesota children still remain a mystery. 19-year-old Susan Swedell disappeared from Lake Elmo 29 years ago this week. This has never been a closed case. It's been a nightmare. It was a snowy night, only about a 15-minute ride. It's just like she fell off the face of the earth. There, there isn't a day that goes by that, that they don't think about Susan. And... I, I think in Susan's case, somebody knows something. Welcome to the Still Missing Podcast. I'm your host, Kara Thanert. We ended last episode with a possible idea about what happened. A guy Susan knows loosens the pet cock on her car. She comes out after her shift at Kmart and he points out the leaking coolant on the ground and tells her, hey, let's bring your car up to the gas station and I'll give you a ride from there. Now, I'm just not completely convinced that adds up, or at least I'm not willing to accept the intentionally loosened petcock on face value, and so much seems to be riding on that. I'm also not sure I'm convinced the person she intended to meet is the same person who loosened the petcock. We're going to have to address all that. But first, I wanted to answer a few questions that people have been asking me. Question number one. Did Kmart have surveillance video in the parking lot or in the store? Nope. Unfortunately not. Sucks to be 1988. Question number two. Did the gas station have surveillance video? Nope, not there either. In fact, I mentioned the gas station is now a holiday, which I'm sure today it has extensive video surveillance. But back then, apparently it was much different than it is today. Here's how Jesse described it. Yeah, if you know the, the layout of that gas station, I mean, it was it was a real old gas station. It's not like you're looking at today, so had to be behind the uh, counter there. So it's not, obviously, it's not the holiday that's there now. What did it look like, or what was the layout? Remember what the old Clark gas stations looked like? Um, um, <laughs> I don't, but... Um, so, no, it was just, uh, it was the one front door you walked through, and uh, as you walked in, the counter was right smack in front of you. That's where you did your business at that cash register. It was very small, very small. Question number three. What kind of car was Susan driving? Unfortunately, I still don't know the answer to this question. Jesse could not recall, but when I do find out, I'll let you know. Or if somebody else knows, please let me know. Question number four. What did this guy, who Susan was last seen with, look like? What kind of car was he driving? The guy is described as a good-looking 20 to 24-year-old man who was 5 foot 11 to 6 foot tall with a muscular build and mid-length, wavy, dark blonde to dark brown hair. He's described as unshaven with a trim mustache and a leather coat. So if that is accurate, that would make him what? 49 to 53 years old today. As for his car, Initially, the gas station attendant said it looked cream-colored, possibly a white Ford Thunderbird, late 70s to early 80s, but very dirty. 
Ten years later, however, the gas station attendant then reported that the vehicle was dark in color, possibly an LTD-style vehicle, Chevrolet Impala, late 70s to early 80s. If you look up Ford Thunderbirds and Chevrolet Impalas, you can see that back then, they had some similarities in body style, especially if a person is not very interested in cars. Like I said initially, I am not able to accept the petcock theory on face value. Is it possible the petcock was gradually coming loose over time due to normal causes and the ultimate timing of its malfunction was just incredibly terrible? If you are a mechanic or you know a mechanic and want to weigh in, please let me know. I've driven the route from the Kmart to the gas station many times. From what I can see, there are two possible routes for her to take, either the frontage roads or the highway. I've mentioned that, in my opinion, at 19, on a snowy night, she likely took the frontage roads. But again, that is just conjecture on my part. Regardless, either route she took, I'm fairly certain that in snow, it would take approximately 14 to 19 minutes to get to the gas station. This definitely needs to be explored from a plausibility perspective as it relates to the mechanics of her vehicle and what I've recently learned occurred with the vehicle afterwards. But before we go there, I'm delivering the information I have for you in the order that I get it. And the next questions I asked weren't about the intentionally loosened petcock. The next things I spoke with Jesse about were an attempt to start to wrangle and satisfy the single question back there in my mind, constant like a little scrolling ticker as I go about my day. Who did this? Person of interest number one, the Arizona guy. In 2002, you'd gone to, I think, Arizona to follow up on a post-it note or something that had been, that Susan had written someone's name down and left it like on her nightstand. Is that the same person? No, uh, that's, uh, that guy is still interesting too. That in itself is a whole another story. When I went down there, I was assigned a uh, detective at the time. His name was, uh, his nephew was, he was playing for the twins. Good guy. He was the one that kind of helped me around through Phoenix and, and doing what I needed to do. Like I said, he was assigned to me. And he and I had a little bit of a difference in theories of how to handle this individual down there to get him to come in and, and take a polygraph after I talked to him. Anyways, I was successful on getting him to come in very reluctantly. He was very reluctant. So we gave him the polygraph. Now, you got to imagine this is Phoenix, Arizona. They have, I think at the time it was, I'm just guessing, but I think it was like 30 people. And their, their only job at the Phoenix Police Department was doing polygraphs. That's amazing to me. Amazing. And so the guy that was helping me do the polygraph. You know, you know, there's certain things you got to do to uh, prepare questions, make sure that, you know, there's nothing that could be leading the individual that you're inquiring about or, or making your inquiry is there can only be one answer. If, if you understand what I'm saying. So in other words, so you ask the questions like, do you know what happened to Susan Swaddell? Yes or no. You take part in any way of of killing Susan Swaddell or in the disappearance of Susan Swaddell. You can only answer yes or no. 
I, I don't remember the questions that were asked specifically, but that was probably real close. And uh, again, it's a matter of record. But this guy, he was a different cat. They they took the polygraph and uh, read it, and they come back to me and said, you know, there's something here that this guy is hiding. We want to do it again. So I had to talk to this guy and they come in and do it again, which was like pulling teeth. You really got to sweep off these guys and just do everything just right. It's disgusting to have to do sometimes. So anyways, uh, I, I talked to him into coming back and doing it again. And after we did the second polygraph on him, the guy come back to me again, the detective, and he said, something's wrong here. We can't figure out what it is, but this guy is not telling us everything. He's, he's hiding something. He said, I can't tell what it is. And so this guy asked, well, I don't know how many guys were working the shift that day, but there were several of them, four guys at least. And he had them take a look at this polygraph that he had just administered. And every one of them to a man said, yeah, this guy's hiding some. Something's wrong here. It wasn't it was like it was a complete failure that he failed it, but just that there was something wrong. And there you go. You know, without uh, putting the gun up to the guy's head and, you know, tell him, I'm going to pull this trigger unless you, you know, tell me what's riding, there's nothing you can do. But it wasn't conclusive enough to say that the guy was actually lying. But I don't know if you remember uh, Caroline Lowell. She was a TV reporter for Channel 4 News. Kind of remember the name. So I, I talked to her about, you know, and so she said, okay, I'll, I'll, let's do a story on it. Just so I could get Swedell case out there again into the public eye, because everything was focused on Jacob. Everything was focused on Jacob, and you just couldn't get any more information, you know. And Swedell became very uninteresting because, you know, Jacob was more interesting and People didn't realize back then, but there were three people in like a two or three month time period that were taken. The same time as Jacob, and one of them was Susan. I think the other one was found. Yeah, within three months. You know, I mean, that's interesting, I guess. When I heard this, I did a little research. Susan went missing on January 19th, 1988, which is before Jacob Wetterling went missing on October 22nd, 1989. Additionally, Nine or ten months before Jacob had gone missing, another boy was kidnapped, though ultimately released, by the same man who had murdered Jacob. I am not sure if this is specifically the third individual Jesse was referring to, but the total time span between Susan's date of disappearance and Jacob's is 642 days, or just about one year and nine months. It would be ideal if every missing person case could obtain the same level of public interest and media coverage. Unfortunately, this is simply not the way things happen, and it can be for any number of reasons. Maybe it was a matter of technicality for Susan. She was 19, technically an adult. And we know, initially, unfairly, I would argue, she was presumed a runaway. But this comparison Jesse makes depicts the stark contrast between a nationally known case and one of those quiet, forgotten ones, sitting on the dusty shelves in a dimly lit room, just waiting patiently to be seen. So do you think that the individual in Arizona, that man, is he still suspicious to you, or do you no longer believe he is a person of interest? Well, I definitely think he's a person of interest. Uh, I wish I could figure out what, you know, <laughs> what he was being deceitful about. But then you got to remember that everybody I talk to still makes me very interested in different things that they did and didn't say. 
one of the guys I interviewed uh, was just a, a habitual liar, but a, a, a real dick. I wouldn't want to say that. But, um, Person of interest number two, the habitual liar. I caught a flying so many times. That again was, there was a, uh, on Susan's bed, there was a lot of different things on her bedside. And one of them was something that I kind of recognized. I just couldn't figure out what, what this design was or this drawing was. And, and the guy's name was on there. His name was, if I remember right, too. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I, I found out who this guy was and I interviewed him. The bottom line is what I figured out. It's, the diagram was of Ember's restaurant, the marquee of the sign. So how was he, how did he know her? Well, she was on the chat lines. I guess I should have brought that up long time ago. But back then, there was a chat line. You paid a certain amount of money per minute to go on the chat line. There were one nine hundred numbers, if I remember right. And you could sit on the chat line and talk with people all day, you know. And, and of course, there's nothing has changed today, you know. And every conversation turns into sex of some sort. And that's what, you know, a lot of the guys were doing on there, especially the guy. Um, I even went as far as. Lionel Lakes, where there was another person of interest that I think I'm pretty sure I cleared him. Again, he was excuse me, a known murderer. He was on the chat lines all the time up there, even while he was incarcerated. Wow. At that time, Lionel Lakes was really loosely run. And yeah, guys were on the chat lines and ringing up thousands of dollars in bills for the institution. Lionel Lakes, until they finally stopped it, was crazy. So do you think that the person who did this, she met on the chat line? We have no idea. It's likely, but again, if it is, put it this way, you know, that adds up to why she changed her clothes to go meet this guy because, you know, first appearances, if you know what I mean. She wanted to impress this guy, and again, it's just all conjecture and hypotheticals. But How many names, how many different names did you find on her bedstand or in her room or on the post-it notes? Oh boy. I think it's like four. I, yeah. I don't remember. And you, but you followed up on all of them and are those guys still, were you able to figure out who they were? It sounds like the one, the individual you were, but did you, were you able to find out who the other people were? I did. Things were starting to make a little more sense. There seems to be a lot more to this story than has been shared in the past 30 years. I also want to make clear that I do not know whether currently these are actual people of interest to the case. These were people of interest when Jesse was in charge of the case. But let's talk about the chat lines. I didn't even know what a chat line was. So I took to Google and in a strange irony, I found an article in the people.com archives dated January 18th, 1988, with the following headline. Surprise, it's the phone bill. When kids plug into party lines, parents learn it's pay as you schmooze. After that, I found the audio to this CBS News report. Long before kids were racking up texting bills and in-app purchases, teens of the 1980s were driving their parents nuts with their expensive chat lines. Frank Courier shows us what that looked like in 1988. Talk to me. The commercials are bombarding America's youth, hyping the nation's newest craze, live party lines. Excuse me, everybody. Two people just joined your conference. Say hi. Where anyone can dial up to chat with as many as nine teenagers on the same line. 
but the talk is not cheap. 95 cents per minute. You know, I mean, I, I wanted to kill her. And then my next reaction is, no, my husband's going to kill her. In Chicago, Sharon Crawl's 15-year-old daughter Angie got so addicted to one teen talk line, she ran up an $850 bill in one month. While in Columbus, Ohio, Rick Carter's chat line habit cost his mother $2,600. I knew it was 88 cents a minute, but I didn't know it would accumulate to the amount that did. And neither did the children of more than 100 Illinois families who've organized a protest against paying huge party line bills. I got my January the 10th bill. It was $2,281.98. Excuse me, callers, I'm here to remind you the price again. It's 20 cents the first minute and... While some chat lines employ monitors to remind callers of the cost, there's growing concern this quarter-billion-dollar-a-year industry invites abuse and exploits teenagers who love to talk but don't have to pay the bills. It's probably the greatest money-making scheme you can get. But I just think that the potential for problems with kids is unbelievable. What do you say we all get together? Well, why don't you call the same time tomorrow on the party line? Chat lines account for an enormous share of the 40 million callers each month who dial the 900 or 976 prefix. Nationwide, the network of such numbers has nearly doubled the past year to more than 3,000. We think, you know, it does represent good value when you compare it, say, to other sources of entertainment, because that's the business we're in, entertainment on the telephone. As the controversy flares, lawmakers in 31 states are seeking tougher controls against message lines, while phone companies in those states are offering to block access to the numbers on request. Still others are writing off many chat line bills if customers complain. If a parent is surprised by a bill run up by a child, we'll make a one-time adjustment. After that, parents must pay the price in the high-tech, touch-tone world of teen talk lines, where 90 cents a minute quickly adds up to an eternity. But eventually, like I said, I retired, and now back everybody there is back to working on tips, waiting for tips to come in, and that just frustrates the out of me. In order to get tips from people, you have to have that information out there so they don't say how they're going to give you a tip on, you know, and, and they don't know. They see Susan Swedell's name come over on a, a story once every five years or six years, TV and maybe a little newsprint, you know, and people don't. They're too busy on their phones nowadays to care about anything. So that that doesn't do it. you got to put this out in front of them on a daily basis, like the Winterling thing was. We need some tips. Somebody out there knows what happened to Susan. There's no doubt in my mind about that. My whole theory is if two people can keep a secret if one of them's dead, I hit on that all the time. Somebody knows something. you got to get that information out so people people can you know bring it to light. born in January 1987, so I missed the chat line craze. The only phone I was using at the time was a baby toy rotary phone. But to me, those chat lines, they pretty much sound like the 1980s version of what we had in the 90s. MySpace and AOL Instant Messenger, online chat rooms. Then in the 2000s, we had Facebook. Now, today, in 2017, we have Tinder and Snapchat, and a multitude of other apps it sounds like maybe Susan was running up the phone bill the way kids today run up the Verizon bill, the Apple bill. All just things teenagers are doing in the decades they are born. 
If she met her killer on the chat lines, and as always, I do say if, but if that is the case, it's kind of like the 1980s version of the modern day Craigslist killer, or any type of murder or crime that happens today made possible by applications or technology that brings strangers together to form some type of relationship or connection, no matter how brief or for whatever purpose, whether it be looking for a ride, a date, a long-term relationship, or a selling and buying of an item. It was technology that made it possible. So in all your, in all the last 30 years that you've gone over and over the facts, mulled them over and over your head, investigated things, are there any other competing narratives in your mind besides the one that we've talked about in terms of the night that Susan disappeared, any other explanations for what we do know that you think could be possibilities? Well, you could, yeah, I mean, you name it. She could have met somebody that said he was some Hollywood producer and come on and I'll make sure that you get some movie credit or get get in the movies. And therefore she dressed really, really nice on a very cold snowy day and goes off with him and never really seen again. I mean, there's, that's a possibility. Is it, do I believe it? No, I don't believe it. Yeah, I mean, this, as far as your imagination can go, you know, you can think of all kinds of scenarios. You know, truth is stranger than fiction. I mean, it really is. You can't make this stuff up sometimes. and It just becomes very, very bizarre. I'm not aware of a way to go back and look at Susan's call records on the chat lines. Even if authorities had copies of those bills from the Swaddells, from my research so far, chat line bills did not contain information regarding actual phone numbers of people chatting. I also do not know whether as part of evidence, authorities have any other details regarding records of the Swaddell home phone or the Kmart phone. The Washington County Sheriff's Department has indicated they will speak with me, though they have not yet. But if and when they do, that is a question I intend to ask. Even if we are no longer able to go back and analyze phone records, we still have something. What we have is an opportunity to use the modern day technology that mirrors exactly what this guy used to find her, but in his exact opposition. What if we shared Susan's story on social media with enough people in enough places that someone finally talked or felt compelled to talk or even someone just put things together and realized they actually had something necessary to say. Sure, it's a long shot, but I guess it begs a larger question. Can social media catch a killer? And as Jesse challenged us, are we really too busy on our phones to care about anything? I'm not sure what you think. I think people do care. I think they will care. And I think it's our phones that could really help this case out. It would certainly be fitting if social media could catch a killer using the collective technological will where one individual person could never make an equivalent difference. But together, we could. I think it would be very fitting if that was the way it went. My daughter has helped me out a little bit with that kind of stuff because she uh, she did her thesis for graduation and her um, bachelor's, not bachelor's, a master's degree on this case. So she really? did a whole... Yeah, whole study of the case. And would she share that study with me, or I would, I would share it with you. I have it right here.
Hey guys, if you know anything about the disappearance of Susan Swaddell or anything that could be relevant, please speak up and contact the Washington County Sheriff Department's tip line at 651-430-7850. Additionally, please help get Susan's story out there by going to facebook.com slash stillmissingpodcast and share the post with Susan's photo in it. Next time on Still Missing. Yeah, this guy had some experience. It was planned out. The other thing I'd read in the daughter's paper was her mom had actually been driving it to the grocery store days later, and that was when the car trouble was reported. Thank you for listening to Still Missing. If you like what you hear, don't forget to go to iTunes and rate and review our podcast. See you next time.